Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Kurdish minorities in several Middle Eastern countries have never been close to fulfilling their historical dream of creating a Kurdistan, which will inevitably mean cutting territories out of nations currently with sovereignty over them. But they keep trying, and by the same measure, those nations are resisting Kurdish efforts. None more so than Turkey, which has often raided Kurdish enclaves in neighboring Syria and Iraq in order to degrade the power of what it considers terror groups bent on striking within Turkey. Over the last two months, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan ordered such uh, spring operations twice, first in Iraq and now in Syria. And what are the aims and implications of these cross-border moves, and how are they impacting Ankara's relationships with Moscow, Washington, and regional capitals? To analyze this, we are joined from Istanbul, Turkey by... Mr. Yusuf Erim, who is TRT World's editor-at-large. Thank you for joining us, Yusuf. Thanks for having me. Also joining us from Ankara, Turkey, is Omer Iskizilchik, who is a foreign policy and security analyst. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thanks for having me. And with me in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of TV7 Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining to uh, Turkey's southern concerns and also proactive actions to stem those concerns. So Turkey obviously uh, has um, several, perhaps many, foreign policy and national security concerns. But the Kurdish one is unique because it is both a foreign and domestic problem. There is, of course, um, a Kurdish minority within Turkey, and there are Kurdish terrorists operating within Turkey. But there are also the organizations which you referred to across the border, and they, of course, pose a problem because they can use uh, Iraq and Syria as safe havens uh, from which to strike into uh, Turkey. So uh, Erdogan, uh, surveying uh, the strategic landscape, obviously uh, saw as of uh, late February and into March and now April and May and even June, that he has more room for maneuver because of uh, Russia's uh, preoccupation with Ukraine. And then later, the topic you asked us not to go uh, too deeply into uh, the fact that uh, Turkey, uh, just like the other 29 member states of NATO, has a veto power over the um, membership of, in this case, uh, Sweden and Finland. And he mentioned the Kurdish uh, activity in those countries as a concern for Turkey. So uh, to sum it all up, he has um, a much freer hand than uh, uh, before in striking into Syria, where the Russians, of course, have been uh, a bit less active now that they are um, obviously focused on the uh, Ukraine. And in Iraq, uh, where the uh, Kurds have an autonomy, but the Baghdad uh, government uh, is powerless to restrain uh, Kurdish activity against uh, Turkey. And Turkey, uh, has a security belt in Iraq, has one 
uh, has had one uh, for quite some time, it is now um, trying to probe a bit deeper into um, uh, Kurdish uh, enclaves. Indeed. Well, I'd like to start with Mr. Eskizilchik. When we're talking about uh, uh, Turkey's challenges, both on uh, the Iraqi front and Syrian front, uh, and if you could focus initially on the Iraqi front and Yusuf afterwards on, on the Syrian front, um, what are the key challenges uh, from Turkey's perspective, both on uh, the border regions where there is presence, uh, according to uh, Turkish uh, statements, of PKK and, and uh, many other uh, related organizations and also Iranian organizations which are supporting the PKK, that is, of course, the People's Workers' Party of, uh, uh, or the Communist Party of, of the Kurds, uh, which has uh, uh, been internationally recognized as a terrorist organization throughout most of the West, including here in Israel. Uh, how do you see this dynamic and uh, does this also put Turkey and Iran on a collision course? So we have to see that the Turkish position in regards to the Kurds is that Turkey has actually excellent relations with the Kurdistan region of Iraq and that the Kurdish regional government and their military force, the Kurdish Peshmerga forces, are in active collaboration, coordination and cooperation with the Turkish armed forces in northern Iraq against the PKK. However, what we have to see is that Turkey has almost finalized to clean the border area and uh, cut off any uh, possible line of the PKK to infiltrate into Turkey. However, for the south, uh, the PKK has still important presence, and one of them is the Xinjiang Mountain region. And we know the further south it goes, the more the role of Iran comes into the play, play and that Iran and Shia militias have repeatedly threatened Turkey and have repeatedly attacked uh, even though minor Turkish military positions inside Iraq and threatened with an active war. There was even a video propaganda from the, these Iraqi Shia militias in Turkish speaking to the Turkish public and arguing stop your interpretations or we will attack Turkey and you will lose out of this. So therefore, this is something the Turks have to deal with. And I anticipate that there's an upcoming uh, competition, an upcoming uh, conflict between Turkey and Iran, as Turkey and Iran will compete over influence in Baghdad as well. So we know that after the elections that the Sunnis and the Kurds have won uh, hugely and uh, Sadl has won, and uh, pro-Iranian political parties have lost important uh, seats. And therefore, if there's a new government in Iraq someday, it takes a very long time, these negotiations. Uh, it will be a uh, conflict also between Turkey and a balance of power in which Turkey will try to ease Iranian uh, influence over Iraq and Iran will try to curb out uh, Turkey because from the Iranian perspective, the PKK is a bulwark against Turkish influence inside Iraq. So, uh, I, as I, I say this always, wherever Turkey is, Iran isn't. Wherever Iran is, Turkey isn't. So therefore, Iran wants to prevent Turkey from pushing uh, the PKK out and from eliminating the PKK so that uh, Turkey cannot meddle into the Iranian sphere of influence in southern Iraq. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Erim, if you could take also the Syrian angle in this uh, equation. And is the, the uh, situation in Iraq also mirrored in Syria proper? 
Well, uh, I think the situation in Syria now is much more serious because, uh, well, first of all, you have many actors. You don't just have the Syrian central, uh, the Iraqi central government or the uh, KRG administration. You have the Americans, you have the Russians, you have Shiite militia all over the area. You have the regime, you have the YPG, uh, you have uh, elements of ISIS and other terror groups as well. So uh, it's a much more complex scenario. Uh, you have to, uh, when we're looking at the situation, especially geopolitically, as Amir mentioned before, it's a very conducive situation right now to launch an operation because you do have a preoccupied Russia. You have a Turkey that has some leverage over NATO right now. So uh, NATO would most likely be more silent than normal. Western countries would be a little more accepting uh, than normal, especially with uh, Turkey bringing the YPG issue to the NATO forefront over the past couple of days, the PKK issue. So uh, if Turkey wants to launch an operation, uh, there's a window of opportunity right now. I think the Turkish president definitely wants to uh, capitalize on that window of opportunity. And uh, frankly, I'm expecting an operation uh, sometime in the month of June, uh, I was expecting an operation even this past uh, past weekend. And uh, when we look at one of the reasons why Turkey is hesitating, it still does have to negotiate with Russia. It still has to talk with the Americans. And uh, the YPG in the area is uh, very, very fluid, changing positions, changing uniforms even. Uh, there's been a lot of reports that uh, Halloween has come very early to tell Rafat and uh, Many of the YPG are now putting on regime uniforms, which uh, complicates Turkey's position geopolitically because uh, that would definitely take the legitimacy away from a Turkish operation because any Turkish operation specifically targeting the YPG and has no business with the regime right now. Mr. Owen? Well, the, uh, the Syrian uh, angle, uh, which Yusuf uh, just mentioned, uh, makes it more complex because the Kurds uh, are the main element in the SDF in the uh, anti-regime forces, uh, which are supported by the Americans. And they are supported by the Americans not because they want to topple Assad. Assad is considered uh, a stabilizing force. They don't like him, but uh, they accept uh, his uh, presence and uh, work for a political settlement, which will uh, take, uh, degrade some of his power, but will leave him there. Nevertheless, uh, all of the uh, elements, uh, including Israel, uh, are working for some uh, balance of power. And that means that no one, including President Erdogan, uh, has any illusions that uh, one single operation can decimate uh, any, any group. It's really more of a war of attrition, more of a steady um, war in which um, uh, groups are being kept in place uh, they are uh, kept uh, on the defensive rather than let them uh, act across the, the border. And we can expect, uh, if not uh, this particular spring offensive, there will be a later one. This is probably going uh, to go on for quite some time. Uh, Mr. Eskizilicic, uh, I'd like to get a little bit of an understanding. And if we establish a mental image, if you will, of, of the map of northern Syria. Uh, President Erdogan spoke about the 30-kilometer uh, security belt throughout Syria, throughout uh, Iraq, of course, uh, is also one of those uh, goals. But uh, when we're talking about 30 kilometers 
initial stages, the Manbaj area, uh, Yareblus uh, uh, area, that will then allow it to then expand further to certain area, other areas. Now, this Manbaj area predominantly is controlled by Shiite militias uh, on the southern front of that with the Russians, uh, if I'm not mistaken, of course, and, and there are different uh, operations uh, being taken place by the Russians, including bombardments, which we saw unidentified aircraft, which later it was attributed to the Russian Air Force uh, striking uh, various uh, groups' ammunition depots. Is this something that we're going to see uh, somehow escalate tensions now even more, considering also uh, Turkey's involvement in Ukraine vis-a-vis -vis Russia? So we have to, first of all, just to uh, correct the mistake, you confuse Membij with Telufat. Uh, right. Shia militias are present in Telufat, not in Membij. But what uh, the actual situation on the ground is at the moment like this. In Telufat, we have the Shia militias alongside regime force, the YPG and Russian military. In Membij, we have the regime forces, uh, Russian military and the YPG. In Ainan Arab, known as Kobane, we have regime, Russia and uh, the YPG. Aini, Teltemen, Amuda, Debasi, all up to Kamishli the same. And only after Kamishli in the uh, to the east, to the Iraqi border, we have um, the American forces and the YPG up to the south in uh, the resort where uh, the oil pits are. So uh, the areas we are now speaking about a possible new military operation, Membich and Telufat, both of these areas are Arab uh, areas and they, they, they do not have a Kurdish population except for Membich or for Kurdish population of 1% or 2%. So therefore, these areas are uh, not uh, part of the Kurdish Kurdish uh, inhabited territories. And uh, when it comes to military operation, we have to see that uh, so far the Turkish and uh, the Russian military have been an, an understanding that Russia do not enter in territory if the Turks are present and the Turks do not enter territory if the Russians are present. However, so when Turkey launched Operation Olive Branch in Afrin in 2018, the Russians previously withdrew from these areas. But at the moment, we have seen that Russia is as you said, upgrading its military activity and trying to bolster its presence there by deploying helicopters, uh, heavy uh, weapons and fighter jets even. And therefore, uh, the, it, it seems like the Russians are opposing this. But here, in the end of the day, this will be an, something which has to be negotiated between both capitals and the Russian foreign and defense ministry will come to Turkey. Uh, and. Uh, or they are already in Turkey, and these negotiations will determine the fate of this region because Russia is at the moment in a weak situation. Turkey has cut the straits according to the Montreux Agreement, which deprives Russia of its capability to supply its Syrian military presence via the sea. Turkey has uh, closed its airspace for Russian flights to Syria, so the only logistic line Russia has is via Iran, and this is not a sustainable logistical line. So therefore, uh, the upper hand, uh, there's a new opportunity with Turkey, and this needs to be negotiated. Nevertheless, this establishes, of course, leverage, Iranian leverage over the Russians if the Russians want to maintain uh, a substantive presence in Syria. Mr. Arim, uh, doesn't this create a certain um, contrasting interest from, from Turkey's uh, perspective? Because ultimately, where the Russians are, uh, we see only minor presence of the Iranians, uh, to, to a lesser degree at least, uh, where the Iranians 
are trying now to fill the void, as uh, has been reported as of late, uh, with regard to certain disengagements of Russian presence in uh, the southern parts of Syria and, and elsewhere? Well, first of all, one thing I want to point out is that the Iranian foreign minister was also supposed to visit Ankara this week along with uh, the Russian foreign minister, but uh, his visit was canceled now. Uh, was this a schedule conflict shut? Should we read more into it? Is there some underlying problems between uh, Turkey and Iran that they can agree on? Uh, that, that remains to be seen, but uh, I think at such a critical time canceling a top diplomatic visit uh, uh, definitely does signal that there are some disagreements that uh, are holding that meeting back. Now, uh, as for uh, the Russian-Iranian uh, balance inside in Syria, uh, at the end of the day, uh, Russia and Iran are both allies in Syria. They do have the same interests of propping up Assad and keeping him in power. And uh, while there is a limited uh, limited presence of uh, Iranian militia in areas of Russian activity, it doesn't change the fact that uh, they can very comfortably logistically use that territory. And uh, the logistic use of that territory uh, ends up uh, with uh, Syrian opposition paying the price and areas of Turkish influence paying the price as well. So this is something that Tur uh, Turkey doesn't look very kind upon. While uh, the YPG is the number one national security threat to uh, Turkey inside Syria, that doesn't change the fact that uh, Shia, uh, Shia militia are the number two uh, national security threat. And they are definitely a growing area of concern as Turkey's uh, threat perception regarding uh, these groups that are loyal to Tehran has definitely drastically changed over the five years. Uh, five years ago, they would have been viewed as a nuisance. Now they are being viewed as a very legitimate uh, security threat. And uh, many Turkish military operations have shown that uh, when they uh, bother or bother Turkish national security, that they will be treated as legitimate targets. So uh, yes, the Russian presence in these areas uh, if they would be removed and Turkey does roll into Talrafat and uh, the northern side of uh, Mambij, uh, we can expect a much less of an Iranian presence. Now, uh, I think Mambij is the most significant out of all these areas because of the bridge that crosses the Euphrates connecting the M4 highway. Uh, it's a very strategic bridge, and uh, those who hold that bridge have a serious say-so and control over uh, the logistic lines of northern Syria. And, uh, uh, if a Turkish operation does take this bridge into uh, its uh, uh, compass, uh, one of the most important parts of taking that bridge would be the Turkish checkpoints that would be created before and afterwards. So any type of terror activity, any type of uh, YPG or Iran-backed militia or ISIS efforts to try to logistically move uh, east to west throughout the country would seriously be hampered by uh, controlling that very serious bit of highway. Indeed, of course, the highway being east of Manbaj, not in Manbaj proper. But, uh, Mr. Oren, there are a lot of synchronizing interests here between Israel and Turkey. Um, what can you tell us about that? So, obviously, uh, this is uh, common sense. One doesn't um, uh, need to uh, uh, graduate from uh, Strategy 101 to uh, see that Iran is right now um, in a hostile uh, position vis-a-vis -vis both Turkey and Israel, which uh, makes the rapprochement of the uh, last uh, several months uh, an obvious platform for security and intelligence cooperation. If I may interject, of course, uh, this uh, may have some um, uh, reasoning behind it, but uh, the RGC published a potential 
route of, of strikes against Iran by the Israeli Air Force, which then would uh, allegedly go through Turkish-controlled areas in northern Syria rather than elsewhere. Well, we've been there 20 years ago, and um, this is uh, a fantasy, uh, much like uh, the mm-hmm. Americans found out uh, exactly uh, 20 years ago when Erdogan came to power that their northern route into Iraq uh, is no longer available. So uh, uh, having such uh, routes or, or even refueling uh, uh, bases uh, is too much to ask for. And Israel can use the southern route. But um, right now in Israel, uh, we are marking the 40th anniversary of the start of the Lebanon War in June of 1982. And uh, it too started with a security belt, uh, at that time, 40 kilometers, not the 30 kilometers which uh, the Turks are talking about. And one lesson um, everyone, including Turkey, can learn from that uh, debacle is that you can't go 30, 40, 100 kilometers because rockets and missiles always have longer range. So if uh, it will be 30 kilometers south of the Turkish-Syrian border, someone will give the uh, Kurds or whoever longer range missiles. And we've seen right now uh, in uh, the Ukraine that uh, HIMARS and similar uh, rockets, all of uh, uh, which, by the way, derived from the old Katyusha, the old um, Soviet uh, weapon system, that that is going to be more and more available. So there is no sense in um, striking into a certain number of kilometers. One has to establish dominance, but not necessarily stay there because there will be uh, terrorist activity against uh, the occupying force. Uh, There will be casualties. It will not be domestically sustainable. Skaziljik, your take on this? So first of all, I would think that the Turkish position is quite different uh, in, uh, in contrast to the Israeli position, whereas Turkey has, is currently working with their local allies, with the Syrian partners. The legitimate Syrian opposition is working together with Turkey and the Syrian interim government, the Syrian National Army. Uh, are, Turkey is conducting the military operation jointly with them, and uh, Turkey enjoys huge popular support among the Syrian uh, society. So uh, being uh, a sustainable presence in northern Syria is possible until a political solution is being reached for Syria. And here again, I also would like to underline that uh, I don't know if Israel wants to strike Iranian militias in Syria or if they plan to, but if they would, they would they do not need to do it because the Turkish military has striked and killed Iranian militias in the north with its drone in 2020. And if there's a new military operation towards Tarifat, the Iranian Shia militias, they will all be considered as a legitimate target by Turkey and the Syrian National Army. Secondly, the Syrian partner forces Turkey is working with are actually the most anti-Iranian force in, on the ground who have fought against Iran more than anyone else. So there is no other force in the Middle East who has killed more Iranian Shia, big Shia militias, who has been in a more direct conflict with Iran, big Shia militias, than the Syrian National Army Turkey is working with. And uh, these uh, local Syrians, uh, 
they hate Iran more than anyone else because Iran has committed many atrocities in Syria. Iran has uh, killed their families, tortured their families, and they see Iran as a national uh, threat to Syria. So therefore, the Turkish position here is uh, quite uh, strong. The uh, main issue Turkey has to face is not Iran, but Russia and the Americans. Indeed. Mr. Erim, we only have about three minutes left. So I'd like to bring NATO into the picture. Obviously, the Syrian front, uh, uh, the last operation that occurred there and, and uh, a few before that as well, have brought about sanctions uh, against Turkish uh, military exports uh, by Sweden uh, in uh, particular, but uh, also Finland now and Sweden are seeking to join NATO. Turkey is objecting as long as its interests are not in line with this uh, addition. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, the Turkish perspective to this and uh, in a way that our viewers can better understand the complexity from a Turkish perspective? Well, first of all, Turkey uh, in principle has always supported NATO expansion. It supports NATO's open door policy. Turkey's not against Sweden and Finland joining NATO. Turkey's against countries that support terror groups that threaten Turkey's national security uh, from joining NATO. And that's something that Sweden and Finland do. And I think more so uh, Turkey's protests are not just aimed at Sweden and Finland, but to the broader uh, to the broader alliance as well, because there are alliance members that uh, also provide support to these groups. And I think that by protesting Sweden and Finland and slow walking their membership process, uh, Turkey wants to bring this to the forefront. And I think it's a very opportune time because uh, June 28th and 29th, there is a uh, NATO uh, summit in Madrid. All the, the all 30 leaders will be there. Uh, the strategic concept document will be finalized at that meeting. And I think uh, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan wants to see more than assurances. He wants to see guarantees uh, that Turkey's national security will be respected in the future, uh, that uh, these NATO allies will not be uh, putting arms embargoes and sanctions on Turkey in the future for operations for its own national security. So uh, while Turkey has fought shoulder to shoulder with the Americans in Afghanistan, uh, in, uh, with NATO forces in Kosovo, Bosnia, Korea, uh, you name it, Turkey has been there. Uh, Turkey wants to see NATO allies back it up when its national security is under threat. And just one very quick comment about uh, what was being talked about previously. I always thought that Syria was such a missed opportunity uh, for uh, Israel and Turkey to work together. Uh, if the relationship was where it was at in the 90s, uh, we would have seen serious coordination and cooperation between both countries. And uh, quite possibly the whole Syrian conflict could have ended much earlier. We would have a totally different landscape. Uh, Turkey's never condemned any of the Syrian airstrikes against uh, Iran-backed militia or Syrian positions inside. Uh, it's probably quietly applauded it in security circles. And uh, I don't think that uh, Turkey's operations, especially in the Idlib area, uh, especially Euphrates Shield. Uh, I don't think that these were condemned in uh, Israeli security circles. Indeed. While there might Last be some sentence. political rhetoric jabbing at Turkey, I don't think that the serious security minds inside Israel uh, really uh, are concerned by what Turkey is doing in Syria. Indeed. Unfortunately, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Mr. Arim and Mr. Eskizilchik uh, for being part of today's program. I'd like to thank, of course, also Mr. Amir Oren and our viewers. And we will see you next time.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.